One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I want to take you back to February 2009 and picture the scene. Lily Allen is top of the charts. Everyone's banging on about Slumdog Millionaire. Gordon Brown is Prime Minister. And a little-known 34-year-old lawyer and wannabe MP is making a video. My name's Dominic Raab. I'm the author of The Assault on Liberty. And I'm a Tory. I don't support the Human Rights Act. And I don't believe in economic and social rights. It was a message recorded for the Convention on Modern Liberty. A big gathering of civil liberties campaigners. But I am proud to stand shoulder to shoulder at this convention with so many incorrigible lefties because this attack on our freedoms is bigger than politics and it threatens all of us. The people at that convention in 2009 were worried about the overreach of a government that had been in power for 12 years. They accused New Labour of centralising too much of that power and curtailing freedoms. We keep being told that if we trade up just a little of our precious liberty, that the state can make us a whole lot safer. And yet when you look at the policies one by one, none have been justified. Fast forward to two weeks ago and having the tables turned for Dominic Raab. The Justice Secretary is about to publish a bill that unpicks and disapplies the Human Rights Act. The removal of the Human Rights Act is all about one thing. It's about removing human rights from human beings. These days, Dominic Raab is Justice Secretary and Deputy Prime Minister, and he's got his moment to ditch the Human Rights Act and replace it with something that he's been cooking up for over a decade. Mr Speaker, our Bill of Rights will strengthen our proud tradition of freedom and it will better protect the public and restore a healthy dose of common sense to the justice system. This is not a Bill of Rights, it's a con. I commend this statement to the House. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. Manveen's on holiday, so you have me, Luke Jones. Today, why the government wants to scrap the Human Rights Act and what's in the new Bill of Rights. Remember this? Starting with some breaking news, government sources have confirmed that due to last-minute interventions by the European Court of Human Rights, all migrants have been removed from the plane in Wiltshire. Last month, the government got itself into a fight with European judges over its plan to deal with some asylum seekers by giving them a one-way ticket to Rwanda. Now, Madam Deputy Speaker, I welcome the decisions of our domestic courts, the High Court, the Court of Appeal 
and Supreme Court to uphold our right to send the flight. However, following a decision by an out-of-hours judge in the European Court of Human Rights in Strasbourg, the final individuals had their removal directions paused. These tussles have been going on almost since the Labour government brought in the Human Rights Act 1998. Today, I'm speaking to Jonathan Ames. I'm the legal editor at the Times newspaper. I've been covering the law for 25-odd years, maybe even longer. I'm not a lawyer, but I know plenty of them. Every element of law has an element of politics in it, but human rights seems to bring with it high-octane opinions on the part of both those who support the incorporation of the European Convention on Human Rights into UK law, as well as those who thought it was overreach uh, on the part of of European judges. So it's been a red-button issue very much so since the run-up to the Human Rights Act in 1998. And this red-button issue has been pressed now with Dominic Raab, the Justice Secretary, presenting to the Commons this new Bill of Rights. And for him, this has been something which he in particular has been banging on about for ages. Well, indeed. I mean, in 2009, Dominic Raab wrote a book called The Assault on Liberty with the subtitle, What Went Wrong with Rights? (laughs) I mean, he's got a bit of a bee in his bonnet about the Human Rights Act and about the court, about the court's impact on jurisprudence in this country. That week was arguably the biggest week in Dominic Raab's political life and in his life as a lawyer as well. Mm. This is very much his baby. And for him, is this an issue that needs resolving from the viewpoint of a lawyer and his background, as you say, is as a lawyer, or is it a conservative ideological thing that's going on? I think it's a mixture of both. I I mean, I really don't think you can separate the two. Mm. He's He certainly is a lawyer, and he's a lawyer who's worked in Brussels as well. But he's also, I think it's too strong to say, he's an ideological politician as well. And certainly his ideology is on on a certain point on the spectrum of conservative politics and, you know, arguably to the centre-right. It's been something of a totem for politicians on that side of the party. The Human Rights Act has been a bit of a bete noire. It's been a bete noire, as you say, but increasingly so recently. Hmm. Uh, Well, I mean, indeed. I mean, to be fair, the Conservatives in their manifestos going back to 2010, in both their 2010 and 2015 manifestos, committed to some sort of reform and a potential UK Bill of Rights. But as you rightly say, the issue has been catapulted to the foreground by the ruling in the last fortnight in relation to the government's attempt to remove asylum seekers to Rwanda for Mm. for processing and for claiming asylum. So one wonders whether the bill would have been brought forward at the time that it was if it hadn't been for that European Court of Human Rights ruling. And having a British Bill of Rights, how big of a shift is it in the way our country is set up? really depends on which lawyer you're talking to. (laughs) On the day after the bill was unveiled, there were a series of letters in the Times from some eminent lawyers and indeed a former Conservative Attorney General, Dominic Grieve, on the one side, who would suggest that it's a pretty profound overhaul and will have a significant effect on individuals' access to human rights in the UK. On the other side, there was a letter from Lord Foulkes, a former Tory justice minister in the Lords. While he acknowledges that it's a political move, 
to create more distance between the UK and the court in Strasbourg. He doesn't interpret it as having a profound impact on the ability of people in the UK to avail themselves of the rights that would be in the convention. I mean, if you talk to some lawyers, they will say, well, the proof will be in the pudding. But you know, the government suggests that most of what is in the convention will still be transferred mm. to the Bill of Rights. And okay, just so we can get this clear in our minds then, and in terms of what the Bill of Rights will do, the Bill of Rights, as you mentioned, is going to replace the Human Rights Act here in the UK, which enshrines the European Convention on Human Rights into law. What does that mean, actually, in practice? The devil is always in the detail, but what it means in practice is that we put the UK Supreme Court supreme. So it will do, as Robert, mm. Dominic Raab said, he says he wants the Supreme Court to do what it says on the tin. Mr Speaker, next we will strengthen the separation of powers in this country, affirming the supremacy of the Supreme Court, being explicit that the UK courts are under no obligation to follow the Strasbourg case law and indeed are free to diverge from it. I'm proud of our world-beating judiciary. And what else is the point? What else is the point of a Supreme Court if it bows in subordination to a European one? The difference will be, whereas now UK courts, including the Supreme Court, have to take into consideration and be guided by the jurisprudence coming out of Strasbourg, under the Bill of Rights, the theory is that that won't be the case that the Supreme Court will be the final arbiter on the Bill of Rights. However, the UK, under the current plan, will not come out of the European Convention on Human Rights. It won't leave the ambit of the court. Now, this is where there is some conflict. What it means in practice is that if a human rights claim in the UK goes all the way to the Supreme Court and there's a ruling that the applicant disagrees with, that applicant could still make an attempt to go to the court in Strasbourg. What mm. the Bill of Rights legislation will also bring is a filter process. So whereas now there's an automatic right of appeal, as it were, once a litigant has exhausted all domestic avenues, there will now be a final application process that, so in other words, you would have to, an applicant would have to seek the permission mm. of the Supreme Court to take a case to the court in Strasbourg. Of course, there's lots else that this Bill of Rights will do, and Jonathan has handily given them each a controversy rating out of five. And we're going to skip over some of the uh, more technical changes that get out a one out of five on his controversy rating, and we're going to go straight to freedom of speech. Dominic Raab says free speech is to be given a higher status in the pecking order of rights to, quote, correct the balance between free speech and privacy. Ministers believe privacy has been given too much weight. Here's one recent high-profile battle between those two principles. The Mail on Sunday newspaper has lost its appeal in its ongoing privacy dispute with Meghan, Duchess of Sussex. After the paper reproduced parts of a handwritten letter from the Duchess to her father... It prompted an extraordinary statement from the Duchess, taking aim at the tabloid industry as a whole. These harmful practices don't happen once in a blue moon, she said. They are a daily fail that divide us, and we all deserve better. And on the other side of the privacy coin, there was this case, of course, in March. My actions in this case were overwhelmingly in the public interest. They led 
to the release of six innocent men after 17 years in prison. The journalist Chris Mullin had written a book that helped secure the release of six men wrongly accused of the 1974 Birmingham pub bombings. The police tried to get him to reveal his sources. They said Mullin's notes could help solve the case, but the court said no. The right of a journalist to protect his or her sources is fundamental to a free press uh, in a democracy. And although Chris Mullin won his case, the government wants to introduce a stronger test that courts will have to meet before they can order journalists to reveal their sources. So Jonathan's controversy rating for this part of the Bill of Rights, a modest two out of five. But I wondered what's pushed the government to change how free speech is weighed in the courts. Well, I could be cynical and say what's pushed the government to do this is that it wants to not pander, but, you know, be friendly to the media. It Hmm. wants to say that we recognise that there are legal issues around what's called lawfare now, where very wealthy litigants can attempt to stymie publication of critical commentary about them by throwing a lot of lawyers and expensive legal action at publications and not really attempting to necessarily win a case at court, but just to tie up publications and other media organizations with litigation. So in other words, the government thinks that there is a problem around what are known as slaps, which is strategic litigation designed to prevent the publication. And they want to say to media organizations, which are still relatively powerful in this Mm. country, that we're on your side, I think. Mm. And they also want to say to ordinary people, we recognize that in the inverted commas culture wars, there is an issue around people being allegedly cancelled for what they've, you know, for, for, for opinions that we, the government, recognize should be aired. We need that rambunctious debate. It has been whittled away uh, by the Human Rights Act in various different ways, judge-made privacy law. Uh, If you like the excessive political correctness that has stifled room for debate, I think we need to make that room greater. Some would suggest that the freedom of speech provisions already exist. There is a presumption in this country that you can publish and say what you like within the confines of or the restrictions of, of very explicit laws on defamation. But... The government might say, well, we would like to see that more explicitly stated in a Bill of Rights. Mm. Let's move on then to one of the other reasonably controversial things that that, that you've listed Mm. that's going to be in in this Bill of Rights. The idea of deportations and foreign criminals who claim that they need to stay here in the UK because they have a right to a family life. Mm. Well, indeed, I think you quite rightly land on this issue because many lawyers would suggest when you peel away a lot of the PR around the Bill of Rights, what this legislation really does is deal with this area of foreign national offenders because often, and there is a significant number of cases where foreign nationals who've been in this country, been in the UK for many years, are convicted of a, of a serious offence that results in a custodial sentence of more than a year. In principle, in in law, should be deported after they've served their sentence. Mm. 
but they uh, frequently are able to invoke the Human Rights Act and the right to a family life because they have been here for many years. They may be married, they may have children, they're embedded in the community, and the, and the, and the argument is that if they're deported, it's a breach of their human rights. We also want to curb the abuses of human rights with foreign national offenders trumping deportation on the most elastic uh, versions of the right to family life and re-inject some common sense into the system. I think there's a common sense reform that most okay. people would like to see. What the bill will do will narrow the scope of those appeals, almost making them impossible. What we anticipate is that those cases would only be acceptable in the rarest of instances where someone's life is actually in danger. One potential problem with this section of the Bill of Rights, say critics, is what if this leads to descendants of the Windrush generation being deported? Or if people who arrived here in the UK as children are removed? If you thought that was controversial, we're going to be going through the parts of the bill that scored the highest marks in Jonathan's controversy rating in a moment. I'm Roger Boys. I'm the diplomatic editor and foreign policy columnist of The Times. I must say it's a fascinating time, a time of war. I have some experience in Eastern Europe, so um, my heart is really with the Ukraine-Russia conflict. And I'm able to follow in my columns the results, the global famine, the global energy crisis, all these things that are affecting each of our lives, all from this one small bloody field in Eastern Europe. I can only do this. We can only do this. Thanks to the subscribers of The Times and Sunday Times. So subscribe today, please, by visiting thetimes.co.uk slash stories of our times. Thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the new Bill of Rights that is coming down the slipway. We're taking a hop, skip and a jump through some of the changes that it will bring in. Jonathan, we've gone through some of the more sort of medium controversial sides. We've talked about freedom of speech and how that's going to be strengthened. It's going to have a sort of higher status in the pecking order of rights. Talked about deportations and how foreign criminals might not necessarily be able to say they need to stay in the UK because they've got a right to a family life here. And also you've explained for us about the primacy of UK law and limits on on the, on the powers of, of the court in Europe. Let's move on to the spicier stuff. Prisoners and some rights afforded to them. You put this as a four out of five on your controversial scale. I mean, interestingly, the UK has a very good record with the Strasbourg court. Not many cases go to Strasbourg. Those that do, the UK very rarely loses. However, there have been some cases where the UK has fallen foul of the Strasbourg court. And the most, I suppose one of the most notable is the case over voting rights for prisoners. And in 2005, the Strasbourg court ruled that the UK was in breach of the convention 
because it wasn't allowing prisoners to vote. It issued an order that the UK needed to remedy that position. But there was toing and froing and delays and batting back and forth for more than 12 years. Nothing happened. I mean, the, the, the issue was finally resolved in 2017 when the UK made a minor amendment to allow those prisoners on license to vote. And ultimately, the Strasbourg court said, fine, that'll do, and closed the case. Clearly, ministers feel that one of the areas of life that they want to have total control over is the way that the UK deals with its prison population. And the Bill of Rights will make that as one of the areas where the UK courts will have primacy. I read here that that there was an instance in which the Ministry of Justice was taken to court because a prisoner said that his human rights had been breached because he was denied access to a laptop. And this is the kind of thing that the government wants to weed out from heading to the European courts. Indeed, I think the government would argue that the Human Rights Act has engendered a stream of vexatious cases that had little chance of succeeding. Mm. Backers of the human rights uh, status quo, the the current regime, would say, Mm. you know, these are relatively rare. They make good headlines, but they're just sort of dead cats thrown on the table by the government. So if that's quite a controversial thing, then, as you say, the government putting more hurdles in the way of, of taking some of these human rights cases to the court in Europe. The other thing you pointed out for us is the government putting more hurdles in the way if you want to take the government to court essentially here in the UK and and go for a judicial review. Just explain what a judicial review is, first of all, and why why the government might want more hurdles in the way before people (laughs) can do that. Judicial review is the process by which ordinary people can challenge whether the government has behaved lawfully, basically. It's an expensive process. The government has to devote a lot of time and energy to defending cases. And it's not just the Westminster government. Local authorities are subject to judicial reviews and other public bodies. So this government has had concerns about judicial review some time and has thought that it was too easy to bring a claim. Under the Bill of Rights is an attempt to tighten up what is called legal standing. So the government takes the view that campaigning organizations bring judicial review claims for political reasons, potentially, or or in theory, and that they are not actually the party that is directly affected by the litigation they're bringing. So in other words, campaigning group thinks that the government has has done something unlawfully. They, They are not the direct victims of that, and they're launching a judicial review claim on behalf of those that they say would be victims. Mm. And the government, I think, in the, in the Bill of Rights is saying what we want to do is, is narrow down so that only those people who have standing, direct standing in the matter, should be the litigants bringing the claim. Mm. So again, I mean, the, there's another side to this argument. And the campaign groups would say, well, you know, we bring claims because it's difficult for ordinary people to do it. Hmm. And ultimately, everyone is affected by the actions of the government. So I'm thinking of organisations like the Good Law Project taking the government to court over various things. Um, Gina Miller over the the triggering of Article 50 with Brexit, I guess the prorogation of Parliament and all of that, is the idea that you've got to, if you're taking the government to court over things like that, demonstrate actually why that this legally is affecting you. Exactly. I mean, the Good Law Project, which also was involved in the Gina Miller case. Mm. I mean, Gina Miller, again, you could argue, as an ordinary citizen, 
she had standing. I don't think there was yeah. an issue around her standing. I don't think the court thought there was. Mm. The Good Law Project, there has been a recent case with the Good Law Project, which brings a lot of claims. I mean, that's what it's set up to do. It, yeah. it crowdfunds judicial review claims. And there has been a recent ruling in which the court ruled that in that case, the Good Law Project did not have legal standing. And I think that may have influenced the government to a degree in this. So we've been through some of the controversial elements. And in fact, we've gone through all the various controversy points that you've given various bits of of the Bill of Rights. And it's 26 out of 45 in terms of how you rate it controversy-wise. So what is the likelihood of this actually happening? Because this is a proposition at the moment, isn't it? With all of those controversies that you've laid out, it could fall. So if I if I were a betting man is what you Yes, is basically <laughs> what I'm saying. Uh, which I, you know, occasionally I am a betting man. I think it's 50-50 at best. And, you know, I, Dominic Raab will, I can hear him scoffing now. This government has a record of making high-profile announcements and then watching them go strolling into the long grass. This is a very high-profile announcement. Mm. Uh, as we've discussed, it, it, it presses a lot of red buttons within the Tory heartlands. But then this government's got a lot of problems on its table. And so ultimately, reforming or replacing the Human Rights Act is a complicated thing to do. Mm. It would require some support, not just in the Commons, but in the Lords, that support's not necessarily, even on the Tory benches, it's not by any means guaranteed. That may just ultimately mean that they think that this isn't worth going to the mat over. I could be absolutely wrong. I have been in the past. <laughs> in terms of the, the mind of, of a Conservative politician trying to push this and thinking, you know, what does my Conservative voter want is there a way that this is, you know, going back to some earlier Boris Johnson successors, is this a get Brexit done, take back control moment? But but on the flip side of that sort of conservative ideological coin on this, in a very unconservative way, it's saying central government knows best and we are arguably making it harder for you, ordinary citizens, to take government power to task. That's very well expressed, absolutely right. But the fact that this government is arguing what appears to be a contradiction is nothing new. It's just a question of degree. So some opposition, you can imagine, in the country to this, as you mentioned, on the Tory benches, but Amnesty International here, I read, saying that you know any significant change to the Human Rights Act could constitute a breach of the Good Friday Agreement. The Guardian saying there's a backward step for British democracy. Ellie Reeves, the Labour MP and Shadow Justice Minister, saying that this was an attack on women in some instances. Women have used the Human Rights Act to challenge the police when they've either failed or refused to investigate rape and sexual assault cases. Mr Speaker, this is a very dark day for victims of crime, for people in care, for everyone in this country who rely on the state to protect them from harm. This bill will take away the duty of the state to protect everyone from harm by removing the positive obligations set out in the Human Rights Act. How harsh the opposition going to go in against this? I mean, there are some good points there. I mean, it relates to the, my suggestion that reforming or, or chucking out the Human Rights Act is, is quite a complicated issue. Not least, and you, you rightly raised the fact that it relates to the Good Friday Agreement, mm. not just the Good Friday Agreement, the Human Rights Act and the incorporation of the Convention 
is woven into the devolution legislation for Scotland and Wales as well. So there'd be a lot of unpicking to do. Doesn't look like it's going to be plain sailing for this bill. Following the decision to overturn Roe versus Wade in the US, last Wednesday, Labour opened a new line of attack. His point is well made. Dominic Raab was deputising at Prime Minister's questions when Labour's Rosie Duffield proposed some changes to the bill. Well, the Deputy Prime Minister sent a clear signal, as some of his Cabinet colleagues have done this week, that Britain respects the rights of women and will he accept the cross-party amendment to his forthcoming Bill of Rights, which enshrines a woman's right to choose in law. She raised the question as part of an effort to put access to abortion on a firmer legal footing, in case it's ever threatened. The law is complicated, but in England and Wales, the 1967 Abortion Act makes it lawful for women to have an abortion and for doctors to perform the procedure, which would otherwise be a crime, but only if certain circumstances are met. If these are not fulfilled, women and doctors can still be prosecuted. Uh, The position, uh, as she knows, is settled in UK law in relation to abortion. It's decided by honourable members uh, across this House. It's an issue of conscience. I don't think there is a a strong case for change. What I wouldn't want to do uh, is find ourselves with a greater respect in the US position where this is being uh, litigated through the courts rather than settled, as it is now settled, uh, by honourable members in this House. Labour's Stella Creasy says she's tabling an amendment to the Bill of Rights on abortion, which could make things even trickier for the government. So I ask the Minister a direct and simple question. If an amendment is tabled to the forthcoming Bill of Rights by those of us who recognise this will be a conscience issue and so a free vote, to protect a woman's right to choose for every single woman in the United Kingdom, will she join me in voting for it? I'm not going to preempt what is going to be in for future legislation. These are a matter for a matter of conscience. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. Today with me, Luke Jones, and my guest, Times legal editor, Jonathan Ames. You can find all of Jonathan's work at thetimes.co.uk or in a print edition of the paper. The producer today was James Shield. The executive producer is Kate Ford. And sound design was by Tom Birchall. If you enjoyed this episode, why not say nice things about us in the review section of your podcast app? Goodbye. <laughs>